We turn in God's Word this morning to our continual study of the Gospel of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 14. This morning we will be reading verses 26 through 31. 26 through 31 of Mark chapter 14. Let us hear then God's word to us. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. As far the reading of God's word, let's ask again for God's blessing upon it. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, once again, you've given us the great opportunity, Father, to open your word. And Father, we ask your blessing on this reading. We ask your blessing on Pastor Bob this morning as he brings the message, Father, and explains this portion of Scripture. And um, we know that uh, everything that you have in mind will be accomplished by the reading of this word. And we praise you, Father, for this, that you'll work in our hearts and minds, dear Lord, that we will not leave this place unchanged, but we will be further, Father, strengthened to work in your kingdom as we leave these doors into the, uh, into the mission field. This in the precious name of our Savior alone we pray. Amen. And amen. First of all, we want to just spend a few moments on the phrase, and when they had sung a hymn. So uh, our first point will be the hymns of praise that are being spoken of here. Secondly, the message of prophecy that Jesus gives, his words uh, that are recorded for us in verse 27. And then the words, finally, to Peter. The rest of the exchange that takes place based upon those words of Jesus. So we have the hymns of praise, the message of prophecy, and the words to Peter. Traditionally, after celebration of the Passover, the Jewish people read and sang Psalms 115 through 118. You may have noted that we sang two of those songs this morning. The psalm we just got finished with is 116. That would have been one of the psalms that the Jewish people traditionally would have sang after that Passover meal, thinking about that which had taken place, okay, these Hallel psalms, the songs of praise the Lord, are that which would have been sung. 
it would not then be unreasonable for us to assume that this is what is referred to here in verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang what traditionally would have been done. The Passover had been celebrated. How do you conclude the Passover? By the singing of these various psalms. That's what Jesus and his disciples did. But there is a message in those psalms. When you go back, if you take the time this afternoon to read through 115, 116, 117, 118, there is a message that those psalms point to. And the message is God's salvation. That God has delivered. Well, of course, that fits the Passover, right? The Passover is the celebration of the Jewish people leaving Egypt, celebrating the fact that they are now free, celebrating that the Lord has saved them, celebrating the fact that the Lord had redeemed them, celebrating the fact that through the blood of that lamb on their doorpost, the angel of death had passed over them, and through that tenth plague, Pharaoh releases them from their bondage. The Lord has provided salvation. That's the, the fitting conclusion to that meal. Because that's what the meal celebrates. It celebrates God saving them as a people. So these psalms reflect that. But what a beautiful prelude. These psalms then form to that which is about to happen. That which is about to take place. Jesus, in full awareness of that which is about to take place in his life, that within the next 24 hours, he is going to be on a cross, suffering. He is going to be beaten. He is going to be scourged. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be abused. He is going to suffer the wrath of God, a hellish wrath. He is going to die. He is going to be buried. He is going to be dead. Listen to that Psalm 118. Listen to those words again. Jesus, fully knowing, fully knowing that which is going to take place, fully knowing that these are words of prophecy, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter to, through it. The stone the builders rejected has become the, cor the cornerstone. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Jesus is singing this, fully knowing it's about him. Fully knowing 
It is about the cross. And yet he sings. The disciples are singing about that which has happened in the past. The Passover. Christ is singing about that which will happen in the next 24 hours. His own death. And yet he sings. His own suffering. And yet he sings. What an amazing message, that short little verse that that seems so insignificant has, right? And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Where are they going to land? Verse 32, to the place called Gethsemane, the olive press. As he himself is going to be pressed. It's a beautiful selection to just think about how Christ approaches this work that now lays before him. And of course, then you go back and you read the Psalms in that understanding. You go back and read those Psalms, not necessarily reflecting on Passover, but you read them reflecting upon The cross, what shall I render to the Lord for the grace that he has given, for the salvation that he has provided in Christ? Call upon the name of the Lord. Fulfill the vows. Psalm 117, a call to the nations to come and praise the Lord. The opening, even then, of the gospel to the Gentile, that we'll look at a little more fully this evening. Go back and read them. See how they fit, not only with the Passover, but now hear Jesus sing them, reflecting on the cross. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We don't know if it's at the Mount of Olives or along the way, it would seem like this kind of fits that they're on the walk, they're journeying, and as they're walking, Jesus makes the following statement. You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. First of all, note Jesus' declaration. You will all fall away. They had just sung together. They had just celebrated the Passover together. Uh, The Passover is the sign of their great unity, of their great being bonded together as the people of God, that together they were going to leave Egypt. There they are in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples bound together. Jesus has poured out his heart to them. He has washed their feet. He has shown them the example of love. They've been bound together at that Lord's table. They have sung these songs together. And yet as they walk, he says, you will all fall away. You're all going to stumble You're all going to fall into a snare. 
You're all going to be offended because of me. You walk with me now, but you will not be walking with me by the end of this day. You're all going to fall away. It's a declarative statement. It's not, you might fall away. Hey, let me give you some suggestions, guys, as to what to do. No, you will fall away. It will happen. It's a declarative statement on the part of Jesus. It's prophetic, yes. And we know the words of a prophet are true when those things come true, and we'll look at the fulfillment of that in a few moments. But what shocking words to the disciples. Wait a minute, we're with you. We've been following you for three years. We're, We're not going anywhere. We're staying with you. But yet Jesus makes this declarative statement. You will fall away. And he bases that, notice, upon a scripture passage. It's found in the book of Zechariah. So if you you find the book of Zechariah a moment, it's chapter 13, verse 7. Here's the whole of the verse. Jesus is quoting a part of it. Here is the whole. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. This is This is one of those interesting things because we see Jesus now being an expository preacher. He's taking a passage from the Old Testament and he's saying, this is what it means. I made my declarative statement, you will all fall away because Zechariah 13.7 says, strike the shepherd, the sheep will flee. Now notice what, what Jesus understands then about this passage. He understands that he is the one that is next to the Lord. Well, you would say, well, of course. Yes, but we need to point that out, right? Because this past Wednesday night, as we were dealing with one of the cults, that becomes pretty stark in the fact of their refusal to understand that or to accept that. But Jesus himself says, I'm the one who is next to the Lord. In other words, I am God. But notice also that Jesus understands who it is that is actually going to strike him. See, we can answer that question on a number of levels, right? Okay, who, who is it that actually has Christ crucified? Well, we could say our sin. Yes, that is on one level. We could say the Jews. That would be true too. We could say on a certain level, it is the Romans. Yes. But Zechariah 13, 7 says, it's the Lord himself who strikes the shepherd. It's a call to the sword. 
to what? To be risen against his shepherd. This is what Peter preaches on that great day of Pentecost to the Jews. You crucified him. It's your responsibility. But God's sovereign plan was to deliver him to you. It was God's purpose. As Jesus approaches the cross, he understands that it is the Father who is going to bring his death about. And he is going to willingly submit to that will of the Father. The reaction will be, they're all going to go away. Strike the shepherd and the sheep, in essence, are going to disappear. That's why Jesus says to them, you will all fall away. Because he knows the truth of God's word. But the third thing about that statement is Jesus' resurrection. You're all going to fall away, but, see that, verse 28? Okay, that, that's, that's one of these amazing texts once again. Okay, see, what, what would we think would happen there? Right, Jesus looks at his disciples, says, you're all going to fall away. Just when I need you most, you're going to be gone. You're not going to stay with me. You're all going to stumble. You're all going to fall. Because I'm going to die. I'm going to be struck. I'm going to be dead. But, oh no, no, we would say, and God's righteous judgment is going to nail you. You're going to really get it. God's going to come back and man, he's going to really deal with you. Well, you see, you read the text in Zechariah, that's what happens. But that's not what Jesus says. Now. See, he's no longer quoting. But, grace, grace. I'm going to be dead, but I will go ahead of you. He knows he is going to be raised from the dead. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows he's going to die. But on the third day, he knows the resurrection. And I will go ahead of you. In other words, he's issuing a call. I'm going to be there, and I want you to come. But Lord, we disowned you. We fell away. Now I want you to come. But, but, grace. Peter, you're going to fall away, but grace. John, you're going to fall away, but grace. James, you're going to fall away, but grace. Matthew, you're going to fall away, but grace. Andrew, you're going to fall away, but grace. 
The whole of the gospel is in this verse. Sinners, salvation, grace. There's the gospel. As he walks to the Mount of Olives, as he walks to the olive press, as he walks to the striking of the shepherd, the gospel is again proclaimed. You're all sinners. But the shepherd is going to be struck for the sheep. But in my grace, I call you to come to me. Sinners saved only by grace through faith in Christ. But Jesus' words cause a stir, do they not? Verse 29, Peter said to him, an objection you see to the gospel, an objection to the truth. Peter claims, not I, not I. Peter again, as Peter throughout the gospels emerges again as the rash, as the boastful, as the self-reliant, as the self-determined, the arrogant, even if all others fail, I will not. I'm better than the rest of these guys. I'm more faithful than anyone else here. Even in light of God's word, right? Here's God's word. Zechariah 7, 13, 7. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will fall away. No, no, no. God, you're wrong about that. You are wrong about that which you say in your word. But it's not only that he's saying the word of God is wrong. He's saying Jesus is wrong. Jesus, you have made a mistake. Somehow or another, in all that you have done, in all that you have said, in all that you have taught, here is a mistake, Jesus. No, you were wrong, not all, because I won't. Jesus, you're wrong. I am strong enough that I can withstand any test that comes my way. God doesn't know me as well as I know myself. What a response. What pride. Yet how many in this world do not respond to the message of the gospel with such things? Don't need Jesus. Don't need Jesus' blood. Don't need salvation. I'm fine just the way I am, thank you. And we would expect that response from the world. But this is from one of Jesus' disciples. 
How often our theology doesn't match our practical, real life. We confess Christ, but we live as if it's all up to us. And we live thinking, well, we don't really have to be dependent upon Jesus. We don't really have to be humble to him and submissive. No, we're pretty self-reliant. We can handle this on our own. Jesus responds, verse 30. Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Jesus restates it again. His words are emphatic. The truly is the, in in the King James, I believe it's verily, I say unto you. In the Hebrew, it is simply the word amen. Or in the Greek, excuse me, it is the word amen. Amen. Sure. Certain. Peter, let me be clear. It's going to happen. I'm not making this up. You are going to fail. Jesus' words are not only emphatic in regards to that, The word is used to set out that which I am about to say is of pivotal importance. Listen, listen clearly. Jesus' words not only are emphatic, Jesus' words are precise. Listen to what he tells them. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, once again, a reminder. Okay, Jewish time begins at 6 p.m. and continues the next day till 6 p.m. So although we'd make the division at midnight and say, well, that's the next day, the Jews did not. So this night, meaning, okay, they're probably somewhere, let's say, around 9, 10 o'clock in the evening. Okay, they've had the Lord's Supper. They're walking to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus says now, you'll deny me this night. Yeah, that night goes all the way till 6 a.m. in the Jewish way of saying, looking at time. So he's being precise. Not sometime in the future, not you know, five days from now, not 10 weeks from now, not eight months from now, not five years from now. Tonight, Peter, tonight. This is so precise, Peter. You will fall away. Peter, I'm going to tell you precisely what's going to happen. This night, before the rooster crows twice. Now here's once again where we have to understand where Mark's gospel is coming from. Mark's gospel is not being written primarily to Jewish people. Mark's gospel is being written to the Roman world, to the Gentile world. The Romans told the watches of the night by the crowing of the rooster. The Romans' understanding of the night went like this. At midnight, the rooster crows for the first time, marking the first watch of the night. 
sometimes shortly before 3 a.m., the rooster crows the second time. Peter, before the rooster crows the second time, 3 a.m., tonight, this night, before he crows the second time, you will have denied me three times. Precise. Not denied me, but precisely three times. Jesus is precise in that which is going to happen. But what happens to these words? Look at verse 31. But he said emphatically, that's Peter. Jesus has said, just said, truly. It's Jesus emphasizing it. Peter This very night, before that rooster crows, twice, you will have denied me three times. And Peter emphatically responds. So you could say, well, truly that isn't so. Truly that isn't right. Truly you got it wrong. Truly I will not do so. And the emphasis there falls on the fact that he's saying this repeatedly. They're walking along. No, I will not. Truly, Jesus, I am not going to. few more steps. Truly, Jesus, that is not going to happen. Jesus isn't talking. But Peter is over and over and over again. No, no, no. But then note what the text tells you, what the passage says. And they all said the same. This isn't just Peter. They all, all ten of them now, join in with Peter. No, we will not fall away. But they did. Go with me to Mark 14, verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away. Naked. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, see, three times, and immediately, 
the rooster crowed the second time. How interesting it is, the sign that Jesus gave, isn't it? Right? See, the one word that probably describes Peter is he's being awfully cocky, isn't he? What's the rooster? Right? That proud, arrogant, haughty bird, always crowing, not caring about anybody else, not caring what time of day it is, what time of night it is. It's just going to crow because it wants to crow. That bird that struts even sees you and is, I don't care that you're six foot tall and I'm just this little thing. I'm coming after you. I can take you down. Raising it. Claws. Looking at you with those beady eyes. Yeah, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, or before the rooster crows twice, you, you, the cocky one, you, the arrogant one, you, the boastful one, you, the one who's strutting along this road, you will deny me three times. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down wept. The hymn writer writes it this way, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I always wonder, and I've, I've mentioned this before, I, I, I always wonder why it is when we come to that, if, if you listen, okay, and I'm not saying we have to cease it, but if you listen, people really sing that out. Right? We sing the rest of the song on one level, and then we come to the line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Maybe it's because we understand how deeply true it is. Maybe it's because we truly do understand how prone to wander we are. How prone we are to leave the God we love. Maybe we, too, have heard the rooster crow more than once in our own lives. Maybe we too have had a stubborn arrogance that says, no, not me, not me, I'm going to hold fast to the Lord. And pride went before the fall. That sin of pride, that sin especially of a spiritual pride, of an arrogance that says, I can do this on my own. I do not need the Lord. And that which the Lord speaks, that which the Lord says, does not apply to me. It applies to other people. They may fall away, but not me. What is the response of Peter? He broke down and wept. My friends, let me suggest that as a point of application this morning, 
uh, to keep us from this kind of spiritual arrogance and pride. We knew need to stay humbled before the Lord. I don't mean groveling. I mean humbled. Always realizing that it's never in ourselves. It is never by ourselves. It is never through ourselves that we have standing with the Lord. Humbled. To hear the word of the Lord. Humble to accept that word. Submissive. Humble and submissive to God's truth. Guarding our heart. See, here's here's part of what Peter does. You see, he's he's thinking so self-confidently that he is not guarding his heart. I find it oh so interesting how Mark puts this. He denies to this servant girl. And what happened? The first time the rooster crowed. But he didn't listen. He wasn't guarding his heart. The rooster's crowing after his first denial. But because he is so arrogant and self-confident in himself, even though the rooster's crowing, he proceeds forward to deny Jesus two more times. He was not guarding his heart because he didn't think his heart needed to be guarded. He thought he was so spiritually strong, he doesn't need to guard his heart anymore. It's interesting that I I found it really interesting that it was hard to find commentaries that spent a great deal of time on this section. Now, perhaps it's because they've covered it in Matthew and the other Gospels as well, but it, it just made me stop and pause how easy it would have been to just dismiss this. Well, let's get on to the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's get on to where Jesus prayed. You see, the Lord doesn't want us to do that. It's part of the blessing, I think, of expository preaching is you can't just skip the passage. The Lord wants to deal with some of us with this today. He wants us to understand that if we think we're all it and we don't need Him anymore, And we don't need to be humbled before him. And we don't need to be broken before him. And we don't need to be submissive to him. And we don't need to guard our hearts. We too shall stumble and fall. But for those of us for whom this text is hitting right here, But I, 
I will go before you. There is grace. There was grace for Peter. I will go before you into Galilee. John chapter 21. He stands by the sea. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. Then serve me. Grace at the sea. It's there for any of us, for all of us. God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you for your word, for its challenge to us, the way in which this passage makes us look into our own hearts, into our own lives, to see the multitude failures over and over again. Our own selfish pride and arrogance, our own thinking we can do it on our own. What a reminder, what a reminder that we need Christ. Always, always. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness and of mercy. Thank you, Father, for the marvelous ways in which you call us to your service. And you use us mightily, powerfully. We'll see it again, Lord, as we open up your word this evening in the life of Peter. This man, this denier is used by you to open up the world of the gospel to the Gentiles. What a blessing, Lord, to be a saved by grace sinner in your service for your purposes. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.